Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 349 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, the godfather in Reds country, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? I don't know about Reds country, but at least they say I am on here. There you I'm go. I'm great. I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. How are, are you, you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. Are you tanned, rested, and ready for this podcast? I know you've been I uh, am, vacating. I, well, yeah, but you don't get tan in a saloon. <laughs> okay, that's true. I forgot about how the way you vacate. <laughs> All right. Well, we got some things to talk about. There is a, was a little bit of news this week, and uh, some of it exciting, some of it maybe less so. I don't know. But I wanted to begin with the topic that we let off last show with, and we, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Last week, we talked about uh, Joe Morgan and the passing of the Reds' legendary second baseman, and, and I just want to give you a chance, Bill, because uh, you're the one of, of our of our guys here at the at the podcast who actually got to watch Morgan play and got to appreciate his talents. In person, I just wanted to ask if you had any kind of reflections on Joe Morgan on the event of uh, his unfortunate passing. Well, I, I'm, I am the senior correspondent. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> I was trying to stay away from those terms, but okay. I, actually, I listened to last week's the last couple of days. I've, I've been out of town. I listened to it the last couple of days, and, I, and you and Doug really, really handled it really well. Uh, you 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 covered it and, and and explained things much better than I I, I could, ever could. We talked a lot about Joe in, in the Building the Machine series, um, as you know, you would expect. Um, yeah, he was he was a he was you know had a little bit of a role to play on that. The yeah, just dynasty, a little huh? bit. <laughs> and, and I've said this I've said this many times. I've said it on here. I said it on there. Uh, seventy five and seventy six. Morgan was the best player I've ever seen. He was better than Eric Davis at his best. He was you know. A, he just, and, and I'm not even sure why I'm saying that because they, they installed, they were five tool players. They were both five tool players, but it just seemed to me in retrospect that, that Joe Morgan could control a game better than anybody I ever saw. Are you saying he was Offense. the best, best red you ever saw or the best player you he, ever he, saw? He was the best player I, I ever saw. That's high praise. Uh, and especially that I ever saw every day. I mean, you know, Mike Trout is an incredible player. But I, I haven't seen him enough to, to fairly judge him against Joe Morgan. Um, the only guy on the Reds that, that I got a chance to watch in his career that I would compare Morgan to was Eric Davis at his peak. And I, and I think their skill set is very, very similar. But I never felt like Eric Davis controlled the game the way Morgan did. Even, even though they did a lot of the same things well. Played defense really well. Hit but for power well, stole bases well, you know, hit for average, got on base. All the all the things that we talk about now were things that these guys excelled at. Um, that's story, something that, that's something Doug and I talked about was how it's just amazing that he was good at everything. I mean, there was no part of his game that, that you could consider a weakness other than maybe height. Yeah, I think I think you I think you told the story that he, he said that that he isn't the best in baseball at any one thing, but he's the best in baseball at any two things. Yeah, yeah. That's a, we had that quote in The Big 50. It's a good book you should try reading, Bill. I, I have read I've got my copy right here. Oh, nice. Um, it's not autographed, though. Garber wouldn't autograph it for me. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him. Um, 
but you know, either you or Doug told the story about the year that Morgan sat out when he got hurt in Houston, and that he sat behind the plate for that whole year studying pitchers, and and you heard that all the time um, about Morgan being a student of the game, and. I don't think there's a whole. I don't think as much of that goes on as it used to. Um, but no. it, as you said, we don't want to go on draw on Morgan forever. But uh, even when he was 38 and 39 years old, it, when he was 38 years old playing for the Giants, he, he still got 50, 554 plate appearances and had 136 OPS plus. It's 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 crazy. And 38. <laughs> I couldn't bend over at 38, you know. I was eight without aching. He finished 16th in the MVP at 38. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, we don't want to, uh, again, we don't want to talk too, too much about it. We did yeah. that uh, last week. I did want to get your thoughts. And, but, you know, I, I also, frankly, a significant portion of our uh, viewers of this podcast are never saw Jim Morgan play. You know, I didn't either, I, you know. And so I want, I don't want, you know the the current generation to um, to fail to see how legendary he was. I mean, he was legitimately. I mean, you could make an actual argument he's the best player in the history of baseball. Period. Now, I don't know. I don't agree with that necessarily, but you could make a you could make an argument. You could say, make the case, yeah. yeah. And so that's just a legendary red, and he will be missed. And the and the other thing you and Doug talked about, and I think I think you brought it up, and Doug agreed is. I think Morgan is underrated in terms of the way he's remembered as a Red. I mean, probably because he played for so many teams, but, uh, you know. Or it's he... been so long ago. I mean, in yeah. my case, I'll give you an example that, that kind of equates to me. I, I didn't see, I, I'm a little too young to watch Frank Robinson play for the Reds. I don't remember him playing for the Reds. But yeah. I understand how good he was when he played for the Reds. You know, he's probably one of the, you know, the Reds' three best outfielders of all time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's similar. That's similar. I, yeah, I just don't know. I just hate to think that either of those guys would be forgotten. It's something that I'm going to continue to uh, to talk about. Uh, and I think Eric Davis is going to end up being that way. I'm afraid. You know, um, shorter career, shorter peak, um, but the skill level was just off the charts. And you and I've talked about Eric Davis many times, and we both kind of believe that if, if he'd have been able to stay healthy and and, and at, at the level, play at the level that he was capable of playing, he may have been an inner circle Hall of Fame. Oh, he's Willie Mays. If he's healthy, he's Willie Mays. I'm 100 percent convinced of that. I've never seen anybody like him. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what's going on with the 2020 Reds. And obviously, we discussed a couple weeks ago the fact that Dick Williams, Reds president of baseball operations, uh, resigned. And the Reds announced this week that general manager Nick Crawl. Now, let me let me set the stage here. You remember Dick Williams was the general manager, and then he ascended to director of player or president of baseball operations, and Nick Crawl became the general manager. And the Reds announced this morning that Nick Crawl, uh, still general manager, um, but he's going to be taking over the duties of Dick Williams. He's going to be the head of the baseball operations department. They didn't they didn't give him the title, I guess, as far as we know. But uh, he's running the baseball ops department. Um, any thoughts, or do you want me to give my thoughts first? I, I don't know what that what this means. I, you know, I've been reading some other stuff around, and some people think it's a the Reds cutting corners and, and not bringing enough brain, you know, enough brain power into the organization, that kind of thing. I don't. 
I don't know. Maybe we. Don't, I don't know enough about what all these jobs do to really have an opinion. I don't think. We'll just only time will tell whether this is a good move or a bad move. Yeah, I mean that's a great point as to why it's uh, it's hard to criticize it. And let me let me begin by saying this. Although I'm gonna I'm gonna proceed to criticize it. Uh, sort of, not really. Nick Crawl is uh, is bright. I mean, Nick Crawl's the real deal. Nick Crawl is. Uh, you know, he and, and, and Dick Williams are very similar in terms of the way they look at the game and, and in terms of wanting to bring the Reds into the future. And, uh, you know, Nick Crawl is the one we, we talked about how Dick Williams is responsible for all these, uh, you know, all the progress that was made in the baseball operations department from the minor league system all the way up. And Nick Crawl was right there with him. I, listen, I, I'm a fan of Nick Crawl. Um, but, and, and again, I, I can't criticize this because I don't mind Nick Crawl running baseball operations but maybe i'm making too much of this and you may tell me that i am but it seems like every time there's a, a vacancy and there may not even been a va- they may not consider it a vacancy here they may choose to just cut corners and not fill it because they don't want to but you know anytime there's an opportunity to bring somebody in from outside the organization the reds reject it and i don't know who the guy is from some other front office that the Reds should have brought in i don't have a name um but it seems like the Reds are constantly just promoting from within for these big, big jobs, these head jobs. Under Castellini, they basically just promoted from within. Um, he brought Walt Jockety with him, and since then, it's just been all guys from within the organization. And so that's not bad if you're an organization like, say, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in the World Series and consistently win. But the Reds have been straight garbage you know, since Castellini took over. So what are we clinging to? I don't I don't like the idea that we had an opportunity here to bring somebody in to give you another set of eyes. And they've, uh, they've done that in some other places, bringing in Kyle Bodie, bringing in uh, Derek Johnson. I think those are, uh, those are, those are great uh, moves, but it, a chance to bring somebody in from another organization that maybe has a different viewpoint on how things should go or how the Reds are doing things. They can see the forest a little bit more because they've not been inside the, uh, you know, uh, the organization. I don't know. It seemed like it would have been a good opportunity to bring some talented young executive from another organization and just be another voice uh, rather than just stay in the course. Um, and the course has not gone so well. Not that they're not going in the right direction, because I do think they are, but, and I think Crawl is going to be, again, I, I've got no problems with Crawl, but does that make any sense that they missed an opportunity maybe? Maybe rather than a criticism, it's just they missed an opportunity. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and as someone that was in a management position in, in, in an organization for a long time, I brought a guy in working for me. You know, I had somebody retire and brought somebody in from the outside from another industry that, that came in and brought a fresh set of eyes. And it totally revitalized my, my department because he, he brought up you know, fresh ideas and those kinds of things. The, the only two things that, that I, the only two other thoughts I have on this is one is this has been a strange year financially for these guys. And they may not be wanting to, you know, this isn't, this isn't, wouldn't be somebody that would come in here and work and, and was going to work cheap. So there's a lot of financial, where do we go now, questions being asked, I'm sure. So just because they didn't fill these positions now doesn't mean they may not once they get their financial legs under them and figure out where the hell they're going. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Again, I'm not, I, I can't really criticize it. I don't know that but it's the, a bad the thing. Other, the other thing that I thought of as you were talking was, Crawl has taken on all these added responsibilities. Well, your 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 time in the in the workday or your time in the day is a piece is a pie. And if you're used to your pie being this one set of jobs, and all of a sudden now you got to add jobs to it, so you're cutting your pie up in different slices. 
you're not you don't have as much time to put into what you used to be doing because well, you got all these new responsibilities. So that's a concern too. Um, and and maybe the answer to that is I did see that the Reds are advertising several positions kind of lower in the baseball ops department, and so perhaps Nick Crawl's trying to figure out how to cover some of the duties he's not going to be able to do since he's covering more by hiring cheaper. So, so, so guys. did they call you and offer you these jobs? But the Reds abjectly refused to offer me a job. Can you believe that? I, I'm I'm shocked and appalled. <laughs> I am not qualified for any of the uh, analytical. Jobs. I'm holding up the sarcasm sign for everybody to see. <laughs> you know, years ago, um, you know, Bill Simmons, this guy, Bill Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, the the sports guy from ESPN, and now he's at the Ringer. Was at Grantland for a while, and he, when he was at ESPN, he had this proposal that every team should hire a uh, a fan, like the, the I can't remember what the name that he gave this a fan. I don't remember what the name was. They should hire somebody that's a, been a hardcore fan in the front office. And just before you think about making any moves, you run it by this person. <laughs> and they let you know how the fan base is going to react and or have somebody that can just tell you what the fan base is thinking and uh, to help give some direction on how to make the fans happy. And or I thought, how they're going to react to something. Yeah, how they're going to react. If, if we make this trade, what, are we going to get killed uh, by the fans? And so now that's the job that I would be qualified for perhaps Man, that'd be fun that'd be a fun job wouldn't it <laughs> that'd be a great job so if they want to do that listen i'll i'll even work cheap for that job but uh, and if they want you know if they want to hire some uh, inside legal counsel I, i'm qualified for that but otherwise i you know i'm just a yahoo that likes to talk into my microphone here so. I, I hate to say this my friend but my guess is the attorneys that they have could could buy and sell you they could but i'm not willing to concede that they are uh, more talented attorneys than me. no i did not say that did i <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I chose the I chose a different route. I worked for the government for you a while. You know, you're talking about this this you know, the fan position. I've I've always said, and I'm sure I've said it on here before. I think at every game they ought to pull somebody out of this out of the stands or that's coming in the ballpark and suit them up and let them shag fly balls. That's a good idea. <laughs> and you're Would talking that be the coolest thing ever. I've seen some of these Reds outfields in the past years. You're talking about during the game, right? <laughs> no, actually, I was thinking BP, during BP. But oh, oh, not not to play left field for an inning or anything. Yeah, well, you know, when Dunn was out there, or, or you know, Castellanos at times this year, because um, this was a bad defensive team. That's yeah. a segue. Yeah, really. <laughs> to your point, what if what if you make a five dollar donation to the Reds Community Fund, and you go in the lottery to be picked to come out and shag balls? Yeah. Not only is it a moneymaker for your uh, charity, the one thing that Bob Castellini's ownership group has done right, which is, you know, the charitable side of things. The baseball side has been a disaster. But um, you also, you just give some fan a chance for a lifetime memory. Absolutely right. I mean, I'm sure you'd have to you'd have to sign a liability waiver, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? If you put your five bucks in there, you're going to sign that liability waiver. Oh, yeah. No question about it. No question about it. That's not a, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> You know, I, I talk about the, the we're idea men here at Red Lake Nation Radio. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, now let's move on. We got some other news we want to get to. Then we got an active yep. viewer mail a crop of right. uh, of letters this week. Next uh, topic is uh, some award talk, and yeah. you know the, the Major League Baseball Players Association. We talked on here on the podcast that Trevor Bauer is one of the finalists for Best Pitcher, the Players Choice Award for Best Pitcher, and it was announced today. Trevor Bauer voted by the players as the outstanding pitcher in the National League. 
most outstanding. Wow. And then I was I was looking around on Twitter this afternoon after I saw that, and C. Trent gave us the information that the last three years, both league Cy Young Award winners were voted most outstanding pitcher. Hmm. And in the last 10 years, 17 of the 20 Cy Young winners won this award. Yeah, 17 think- of the guys that won this award won the Cy Young. I didn't even know this was an award until fairly recently. I didn't either. <laughs> so. But apparently it's been going on for at least 10 years. Yeah. Well, you know, um, that'd be great. I think Trevor Bauer probably is in line to win the side. I don't know. I mean, you know, he was, you Darvish was great. Uh, you know, I think you'd have to say he's the favorite at this point. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. And, uh, it's going to be kind of interesting if, and we have a question about Trevor Bauer coming back. We'll talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about that all winter long. Is Trevor Bauer yep. coming back? Until he signs somewhere else. Yeah. But if he doesn't come back, I don't know. It's just something that breaks my heart. And, but it's also classic Cincinnati Reds. About finally, after all these years, we have a Cy Young winner. You know, the Reds have never a Reds pitcher has never won the Cy Young Award. Not even Pete Shurek. Not even Jimmy Haynes. And we finally get a Cy Lucky Young winner, Walters. and he takes Lucky all. Walters would have. Well, yeah, would have. But come on, they didn't have the Cy Young Award back then. Um, yeah, he but, would. But the guy that that wins it and he gets to start eleven games. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, we get a guy for a half a season, and uh, I mean, we had him last year, but his Cy Young Award season, half a season, it's like a kind of an asterisk. And then if he goes somewhere else, you know, he's playing for the Cardinals next year. Oh, it's just gonna be awful. He goes twenty-seven and three or something. Uh, if he goes somewhere else, I hope he goes three and twenty-seven. <laughs> uh, if, if you're listening, Trevor, I didn't mean that. Goes to Tampa or to Oakland or to somewhere that in the American League where he can't kill us. I won't wish him as much ill. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, well, congratulations to Trevor Bauer, and yeah, it's, yes, it's good. I'm not, you know, we're not used to the to Red Cincinnati Reds winning awards. You know, it's mostly been Votto, especially, especially pitching awards. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's good, and you know, fingers crossed on the Cy Young. In other award talk, I guess the last person to win a major award, and I think the uh, I think the the prize for this is you get a leg lamp. Because it's a major award, you get that reference, Bill. A what lamp? A, a leg. It looks like a leg. And I know the movie. I've, I've never seen it, but oh my gosh, it's a major award. It's fragile. It must be Italian. A Christmas first story. You, first, first, I thought you said lava lamp. <laughs> Not a lava lamp. Uh, the last, I, I think, I think the last Reds Award winner was Tucker Barnhart, who won Gold Glove uh, at catcher. While well, he has been announced as one of the Gold Glove finalists for 2020 at the catcher position, Tucker Barnhart, and that doesn't surprise me that much. Tucker Barnhart has a great reputation, and if you've watched him play, you know he's a good defensive catcher. But the other one kind of surprised me. I was really pleased to see it. Um, Wait a minute before we, before we move off of Tucker. Okay, yeah, let's let's we'll take it one by one. He did you if he would win this, and I read this today on Twitter also. I think this was a Reds tweet. He would be the third Reds catcher to win multiple gold gloves. The third was Bill Plummer one of the others. Uh, Bill never played enough to qualify. Oh, okay. Uh, the one is obvious, and I guess the other one. And can you guess who the, the third one is? Let me think. Uh, Johnny Bench is obviously the other one, right? Um. Catcher, gold glove. Uh, 
gloves. Yeah, multiple gold gloves. Uh, you know, were they given gold gloves when early Lombardi, Ernie Lombardi played? I don't know, but it's not Ernie Lombardi. Okay, not Ernie Lombardi. Not Bo Diaz or Alex Trevino. No. Nope. Um, yikes. Or Joe, or Joe Oliver or... Oh, Joe Oliver's a good defensive catcher, yeah. I, I don't think he ever won a gold glove. Top as he could hit, he wasn't. Hmm. What can you can you give me a a, a rough estimate in terms of decade? Because I don't know. In the sixties. The sixties. That kind of gives it away, though. Who's the catcher in the sixties? Johnny Edwards. Oh, Johnny Edwards, right? Yes, we talked about Johnny Edwards. He won in the book. sixty-three and sixty-four. Ah, there you go, Johnny Edwards. So I looked him up. That's a deep cut, by the way. We're going all the way back to the sixties. I looked him up. Johnny Edwards' career OPS plus was 85. Yeah, catcher. Tucker Barnhart's OPS plus is 85. Johnny Edwards' career wins above replacement was 14.8 in 14 seasons. Tucker Barnhart's wins above replacement is 7.1 in seven seasons. Edwards' best single season was a 3.5 wins above replacement. Tucker's has been a 3.7. They're the same player. <laughs> they were the exact same player, <laughs> except Tucker's still playing. Well, you asked me a question. Yeah. You texted me a question last week, and I don't know yeah. that I had a, a good answer for it at the time. And I want you, I want to, I want to present that again because one of the big discussions we're going to have this off season is Tucker Barnhart and Tyler Stevenson, and you know what's going to happen at the catcher's position going forward, and Kirk Casale. Right? How do, how's all this going to play out? And, and I'm sure you remember what the question was. You want to go ahead and repose that? And I want to know your answer to this question. Yeah, I said, you know, if he would win the gold glove, how does this affect the playing time at the catching position next year? Does it hinder Stevenson? What do they do with Casali if they're going to keep Stevenson? You know, are, are, are they thinking about, and I, I know I've expanded the question from what I sent you as a text. You know, do they think about trading or non-tendered Casali? And if they don't, what does that say what they're thinking about Stevenson? I don't have the answer to that, but it's 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 gonna it's an interesting interesting to throw that into the mix. In general, in a, a non dysfunctional organization, it doesn't matter. You know, if if he wins an award, uh, we already know that he's a good defensive catcher. The question is, can we get more production, either you know, offensively, defensively, all put together at the position next year? And how do we get more production out of the catcher's position all around? The fact that he wins an award should not matter. Or that he's a local guy that was drafted here and uh, came up through the organization shouldn't matter. We know those types of things have traditionally mattered for the Reds, and they've made poor decisions in the past based on these kind of emotional, emotional ideas. I love Tucker Barnhart. We, we, every time we talk about him, we got to say, "Oh man, he's been a good friend of the podcast," and we and we're all, we're big fans of Tucker Barnhart. But uh, I used to go see him play in Dayton. He used to call me Mister Lack. <laughs> Gosh, that make you feel old. <laughs> He'd, you know, because we'd always when he would warm, he'd be stretching and getting ready for the game down by the bullpen, and we'd walk down just to wave and say hello. And he'd say, "Hey, Mister Lack, Mister Lack, how you guys doing?" <laughs> yeah, just a great, great kid even back then. And yeah, and and if, if you haven't, go back in, into the archives and listen to his, uh, especially his first interview or two that he did with us. Just a good kid, and I don't feel good advocating maybe for him having a less of a role. That's why it's not good for me to be in charge. I can be emotional about it, but you know. Uh, but we want the team to be better. The team's got to be better. The team's got to be better. And I just, Tucker can't hit. Uh, I hate to say that. And uh, if he or his, any of his lovely family are, are listening, I'm sorry. But he's he just he's 
can't hit. He has things that commend him. And I, we've always said he could spend another 10 years in the league as a backup catcher and make some teams very happy as a backup catcher. Yep. But and, 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 and he shouldn't want that. He should want to be out there every day. And, and I'm sure oh, yeah. I know he does. Sure. God bless him. You know, that's what we want out of our players. But we need to put the guy, the best, the guy that's going to do the best job all around on the field. And that's why we're not in charge. Well, I hope he wins it because I like the kid and I like, yep. uh, you know, um, I like seeing Reds win awards. So, But his last four years, his OPS plus has gone down. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I hate criticizing the guy, but we got to be honest here too, right? Well, it, it, I don't see it as a criticism. I'm just stating a fact. Yep. So <laughs> that, that's something that goes into the mix. If he wins this award, yep. does it? And, and, you know, maybe maybe that's uh, if he if he wins this award, maybe that's a verification to the Reds of what they already knew, that this guy's a good enough defensive catcher that we can keep him around to kind of shepherd Tyler Stevenson, you know, through to teach Tyler Stevenson the ropes. And I like that, that idea. I don't know that I don't trust Casale to do the same, but I, I like having a guy that's won a couple gold gloves to, to you know, hand the keys over to Tyler Stevenson and, and teach him. So, I mean, I think you can make a really good case for, for him or Casale, but certainly for him especially. I, I would, I've never heard this talked about with catchers, but do you think how they handle pitchers and call games, do you think that goes into the gold glove consideration of catcher? Uh, I think in the past it has, but a lot of it's just, you know, uh, talk. There, there's not been a whole lot. Right. This, this year... Well, there's no way to quantify it. Well, this year the award's based on the Sabre Defensive Index. Well, I did not know that. Yeah, this year and this year only, I believe. Um, it's based on the Sabre Defensive Index. That's been a part of it in the past, but this year it's the only criteria. And so hmm. the, the Sabre Defensive Index, here's a quick, quick, uh, quick and dirty. The SDI draws on and aggregates two types of existing defensive metrics, those derived from batted ball location-based data and those collected from play-by-play -play accounts, including StatCast. So, you know, um, I don't know how you – 60 games seems like defensive stats are even less reliable. So, I, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, we don't trust them to begin with. So. Right, especially with 60 <laughs> games. So, so another red was uh, nominated as a finalist. And this one was a bit – it was a surprise to me. It was me as well. Shogo Akiyama. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't see that coming, but I, I understand it, man. Shogo Akiyama – was uh, nominated for a gold glove among left fielders, first of all, you know, and he played a lot of center as well. He actually played in left field less than half of the innings he played this year. But, um, and, and and if they're just going by the stats, that might make it tough for him to win because he has so you know fewer right. opportunities in left field. But, wow, I mean, I knew he, he looked really smooth out there. I knew that wherever they put him, he was positioned well. I mean, you never worried about Shogo Akiyama out there. Even when he wasn't hitting, he, you could feel like, well, he's he's helping the team defensively. So, but that did surprise me, and I guess it surprised you too, huh? Yeah, it really did. And the other, there's there's a number of things about this that surprised me. Is one that that got as little playing time as he did. Now he played 54 games, but uh, he only got 183 plate appearances. Yeah, pinch hitting some and late yeah, inning so replacements. So I can't really say how many innings he played or anything like that. But the other thing too thing that surprised me was that on a team as bad as this team was defensively, they got two gold glove finals. <laughs> That's something we talked about all year, wasn't it? How yes, awful. It yeah, how awful they were defensively. That's how, a good point. Can you how many how many Reds outfielders that have won gold gloves can you name? 
Um, Eric Davis. Yeah, he won how many? Oh gosh, I don't know, a thousand. Three. Three. Okay. I know Adam Duvall was a finalist twice. Billy Hamilton. Won. Billy Hamilton was a finalist, I think, three times. They, they yep. didn't, neither of them won. Um, outfielders. Hmm. Yep. I can't. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any other outfielders. Well, Geronimo. Well, Cesar Geronimo. Yeah, that's true. That's he won. True. He won four. That's the most ever by the Reds. Yeah. Pete won two. Two in the outfield. Yeah. Okay. And Pinson won one in '61, and Frank Robinson won one in '58. See, you're going way back. You're going before my time. Well, I was born in '58, so I, that's, that's almost before my time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so hey, Shogo, I'm, you know, I'll be surprised if he. I'd be shocked if he wins. I wouldn't be as surprised if Tucker won. No, I think Tucker's got a shot. I mean, I don't know how this the, the stats look, I but agree. the defensive runs saved that stat. DRS had him yeah. as, had him as the best catcher in either league this year. Wow. So yeah, I could see that Shogo. No, but uh, boy, I'm I'm excited to watch Shogo a full season next year, though. I mean, I'm. I tell you what, when once he seemed like he got his legs under him, now he, I, you know. He got a 357 on base percentage, and I don't expect that to go anywhere but up. Yeah, I mean, considering how poorly he started and he still was able to do that, it's fantastic. Yep. All right, a couple of other uh, quick things. Um, oh, here's some news that I know is going to disappoint you. One of the Reds' opening day starters elected free agency this week. I know you're going to be sad to see Matt Davidson go if he does, in fact, leave the Reds don't re-sign him. But Matt Davidson, Jesse Biddle, and Matt Bowman all elected free agency. This week. I thought Jankowski didn't. He's, he wants to stay around? Uh, well, uh, he it wasn't announced this week. So, um, Well, the good thing about Matt Davidson electing free agency is that means David Bell can't play him as the first pinch hitter in a playoff game. <laughs> if the, you're assuming the Reds are ever going to be in another playoff game, but so yeah. I appreciate the optimism. I'm hoping so in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 62. Appreciate that. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, Jankowski has, has, is the only one that's currently remaining in the organization, but I wouldn't be surprised to see any where all of those guys come back. I mean, you know, they were they were sent to AAA and uh, they were outrighted from the 40-man roster, so they had a right to elect free agency, but that doesn't mean they're not coming back. I don't know how much of a demand for their services they'll be out there, and the rest may want to bring them back. So, And and, and all those guys are guys that I don't mind having around in, in terms of a, a, a franchise depth uh, situation, but Matt Davidson started on opening day. We should have known it was all going to go wrong. Yeah, opening day was weird enough, and then Matt Davidson was a starter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, I want to answer some viewer mail questions, but first I want to ask you a or to comment on this. Uh, Rob Manfred, baseball commissioner Rob Manfred, he uh, announced this week that he wants to keep the playoff expansion in Major League Baseball. He wants to continue to have this expanded playoff system where just about every team gets in. Yeah. Uh, and they, they got to negotiate that. It's it's not going to happen without uh, some agreement with the Players Association. But what's your thoughts about keeping well, the playoffs? We've got anywhere? a question that kind of covers this, but uh, I, I'll, I'll hit it. I hate his. I hate almost every idea that he ever comes up with. This is no different. Uh, I don't want the baseball playoffs to turn into the NFL, NHL, and the NBA. My thought about it is something we've talked about at our uh, Red Leg Nation Radio Slack channel, but. Um, I'm afraid that if you just have to be a 500 team to get in the playoffs, then that's all the Reds will try to be. Never thought of it that way. You know, that if they think they can get away with just trying to be good enough to get in the playoffs, and then maybe, you know, hopefully things go well. It's a crapshoot in the playoffs. 
that what incentive is there for the Reds to actually try to be the best team in the league? I never thought of it that way, but it, 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 there's logic to it. Yeah, they, and the other thing, if they, the other thing, and thinking more baseball wide than just the Reds, is I don't like the idea of a team that finishes a 500 winning the World Series just because they get hot for a week and a half. Now I know we can talk about all the other sports where it happens and blah blah blah. And even the NCAA, we can talk about that. But it, I don't. It, that's why baseball's always been different. We, you know, it's always been one of the best teams was vying for the championship, not some team that just got hot at the right time. That's why the 73 Mets infuriated me when they beat the Reds in the playoffs. Yeah, listen. Um, Bud Harrelson taking a cheap shot at Pete. It, it will happen. If if they expand the playoffs, it will happen that some 500 team yep. wins. I mean, there's no question about it. Yep. So... Um, all right, let's get into some viewer mail questions. We have some good ones oh, wait, this week. Before we do that, I, have a, before, I have a question for you. Uh-oh, let's hear it. Before we get there. As, I, as I've said to you many times, I get, I get out poking around on baseball reference, and today I was looking at the all-time oh, wins above replacement players for the Reds. Joey Votto presently stands at number five at 61.8. Career wins above replacement. Yes. Where do you think he will finish his career? For the Reds, or you, can, you know what position? What position in the Reds top twenty-four? He presently is at five. Are, are you going to tell me who's uh, how, ahead of him and how close they are? Frank, I yeah, I can do that. Frank Robinson is above him at sixty-three point eight in fourth position. He'll pass Frank Robinson. Okay, that's yeah. Then it's Barry Larkin at seventy point five. I don't see him getting there. I don't either. I would say he finishes fourth and, and pushes Robinson back to fifth. Yeah, I th I, that's that's probably where I would go. I hope I'm wrong. I, I mean, I hope he finishes. There's no way he ever catches Bench or Rose. But I, I'd love to see him, you know, three or four good years left and finish, you know, in the third spot. Yeah. But I don't see it happening. Even if he doesn't, for all the grief he gets – the only Reds to compile more wins above replacement are Barry Larkin, Johnny Bench, and Pete Rose. I mean, that's... Four Hall, three Hall of Famers and one would be in the Hall of Fame. And the guy just below him on that list is in the Hall of Fame. Inner Circle Hall of Famer, yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, actually, you can make the argument that... I wouldn't say that Barry Larkin's an Inner Circle Hall of Famer, but I think no. you could say Rose Bench, Frank Robinson, and Joe Morgan sure are. Yeah, I certainly would say that for uh, for Bench and Robinson, no question. Um, ah, interesting question. Yeah, that, those, that's pretty uh, pretty good company for our guy Joey. Yeah, I'm, he's done okay. Yeah, I'm glad we were always big Joey Votto fans here on the podcast. All right, some uh, viewer mail questions. These questions come from our friends at patreon.com slash redlegradio. Uh, these are some of our friends who have decided to support the podcast, have joined the, the family. They're joining the discussion on our Slack channel and a really active, really fun group. I tell you, I'm, I'm loving this community that's that's growing up around this podcast. Our first question, and remember, these are actual letters from actual viewers. I went out to my mailbox earlier today and picked them all up. And our first one, there you go. I didn't know they had mail down there in the holler. Oh, they do, baby. 
You can <laughs> see you can you can hear me. I'm shaking the envelope that I got the. Uh, that's the first question comes from our buddy Joe Farsing. Joe's question: Which is the better show, Mad Men or Breaking Bad? You want me to take that one, or you want it? Uh, well, I, I could never get through Mad Men. I tried and could not, and it took me two tries to get through Breaking Bad. Uh, the answer is The Wire. <laughs> well, that is the answer. The Wire is better than both of those, but although <laughs> although Mad Men's very very close to The Wire in my estimation, the, the Mad Men is just. I mean, Breaking Bad was fine. I watched the whole thing, and you know, it was it was good. Um, it's not one of these inner circle The Wire, Mad Men. Uh, Sopranos, that that type of, uh, you know, Deadwood. I would put in that that list. Breaking Bad so does not reach. What you're saying is, I need to make a, take another shot at Mad Men. Boy, I think so. I mean, I'm I, I, literally. I think it's very close to being as good as The Wire. Um, it just, wow. it's it's really, it's 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 an incredible viewing. Uh, so Mad Men is my answer on that. Breaking Bad's fine. I mean, it's worth watching. I liked it, but I just don't think it's you know, I think it's Inner Circle TV Hall of Fame. Um. So they- there's a, there's a show we ought to do sometime. Oh yeah, that might be a good one. Maybe that'd be a Patreon exclusive <laughs> show one of these uh, one of these months. Charlie Zollers makes a comment on that really more than a question. He says, "I'm going to say something I know will get criticized, but Family Guy is a much better show than The Simpsons. Bring on all the smoke." I'm I'm guessing you don't watch Family Guy or The Simpsons. Am I, I have watched The Simpsons. If I've seen you know, I'm not I'm not like you and Chris. You know, where you guys can talk about every Simpsons episode ever made. <laughs> but, you know, I, generally I know what you're talking about. I've never I've never seen Family Guy. I've never. Other than blowing by it when I'm watching, looking for something else. So I can't I can't address Charlie's uh, Char- Charles question here. Yeah, well, he, he's wrong. And I appreciate him being willing, being willing to be wrong in this public forum. That, you know, I love you for it. But, um no, The Simpsons is better than Family Guy. But and, and I'm not saying that because I dislike Family Guy. Family Guy makes me laugh out loud very often. Is, but who who does Family Guy? Is that the same guy that does the uh, the Seth, sci-fi show on Fox? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know what that show is, but yeah, Seth, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, yep, yep. You know what else he does? He has an album of him singing like these old uh, standards, like uh, these old Sinatra tunes, and the uh, guy like, can sing. Really. Well, yeah. the, the TV show has Adrian Balicki on it, and yeah. they, I don't know who that is, but she was in she was in Friday Night Lights. Yeah, didn't see it. Wow. Well, know. if I got to see if I need if I need to watch Mad Men, you need to watch Friday Night Lights. Well, let me go back to my opinion on Mad Men or Breaking Bad. You really everybody should discount my opinions because I really I I don't watch a ton of TV. I've got very few. If I, if I know something is supposed to be like really good, I'll watch it. But I can't deal with mediocre television. I can't devote that much time to mediocre television shows. See, I don't trust anybody that talks about movies and calls them film. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> my, my daughter, thought it was, my daughter thought it was hilarious to send me some meme she saw about, uh, it, uh, it showed some guy wearing this, uh, this kind of, I don't know, goofy hat and some kind of weird look at look on his face and a weird looking beard or something. And, and uh, the meme was something like, oh, you know, this guy uh, calls movies films. And she just thought that was hilarious because she's heard me say films and it makes her mad. Well, I thought she was talking about hat and beard, but she was making fun of me. <laughs> well, no, she does that. <laughs> behind, films. She does that behind your back. <laughs> Kyle Kapler. <laughs> Kyle's want to go back to his question from last week. 
And uh, he gave some choices of people to acquire, and, and he agrees with what I said, which is that Kettle Marte would be his number one uh, choice to try to acquire in the offseason. And uh, the big question here he asks is, would you just would you just give up Nick Senzel plus a little more to get him? Why or why not? Editors note, look at the age and team control of both Marte and Senzel and production so far. Now, Marte, of course, is uh, just turned 27 last week. Nick Senzel's 25. Um, Nick Senzel and I have to share the same birthday, by the way. So I think that means I'm also just 25. Uh, your three favorite people that share that birthday, Nick Senzel, me, and Brandon Phillips. What about that? It's a good day. Good day in Red's fandom. Okay. So anyway, Kettle Marte, you know, do I trade Nick Senzel? I don't, I, I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not sure that I am completely unbiased when it comes to Senzel. I got to know him a little bit, and I just I see all that talent, but I can't deny what other people are seeing, which is that he's not produced yet at the big league level, and he keeps getting hurt. I mean, those are facts. Every every time he goes down on the field, you hold your breath. Yeah, true I, or not true? Oh, it's absolutely true. Yep. And, it, and you know he's uh, again. I hate to say he's gonna be in his age twenty six season next year, and has done basically nothing at the big league level. I know you can't ignore that. I, nope. st- I still am convinced as much as I ever was that he has all the talent in the world, that he's the guy that was, you know, thought prospect. But well, and, and, and Marte is, he signed through his age 30 season at a maximum of 10 million a year, but he's, he's really only had one great year. That's the thing with him. I like him, but he, you know, he's not guarantee. No, he's no guarantee. And, and I guess my question for Kyle would be when you say Senzel plus a little bit more to get him, I don't know what a little bit more means. If I could do it, if I could do an even up trade, I probably would do it. When you consider that Marte, if you if you're thinking about putting him at, putting him at shortstop, yeah, I mean, I think I think I would. I hate to say that, but I can also see the first year that Nixon Zell is healthy, I see him exploding. The problem is we just don't know if that's ever going to happen, if he's ever going to have that year. And it's getting late. You, what do you always say? At some point, you got to produce. What's that? I said, I hope he does it next year. Heck, you know. Yeah, they need but, it. But like I said, even at that playoff game, he dove back into first base. Next thing you know, the trainer's out on the field again. I know. You, you just hold your breath every time he hits the ground. And, and, <laughs> you know, I, I've never met the kid. I've never talked to him. You have. You say he's a great kid. Uh, and it's, it sounds like he's very insightful and you know, thoughtful and, you know, he's considered his career and has a plan and, but it just hasn't come together yet for him. Well, I just, you know, he's a hard worker, and everybody said that everywhere he's been, and, and there's just no question about it. But, you know, it just at some point it's got to happen. We, we talk about an impact bat for next year, and I don't want the Reds yeah. to just depend on Nick Senzel being Nick Senzel to be that Im- an impact batter to help improve the offense. You can't yeah. ho- hope it's not a strategy, right? But that's something that could really help the Reds outperform next year if he can be healthy and be the guy they thought he all these years that he's going to be. So I, I think his ceiling is higher than Marte's. Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, but, but, but I think Marte's floor is higher than Senzel's. Yeah, yeah. And Marte has had at least one season of being like really good. So yep. I don't know. Good question though. Uh huh. Joey Gaditza. Hey guys, if he has a couple of questions here. The first one: If Bauer and Disco, he's talking about Trevor Bauer and Anthony DiScalfani. If they end up elsewhere next season, any free agent starting pitchers grab your interest? 
Let's answer that one first, and then we'll go to the second one. Okay. Um, my my thoughts are any free agent starting pitcher that might grab my interest will not interest the Reds. I don't see them spending any money. Uh, they may to bring Trevor Bauer back. Other than that, I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'm wrong. So I'm going to kind of avoid the question because I I don't see the Reds being players in that free agent market um, because of what happened this year. Other than trying to trying to retain Bauer and and some comments from Nick Crawl this week made it sound like uh, we may have to get creative with our budget and made it sound like uh, they didn't give me hope that Bauer was going to be in the cards for next year. So I don't know if you got anything else you want to add to that or not, Bill. If they if, well actually I, I looked at the list and went out and and. and, and my feeling is that I, I, I'm not even going to address what you're talking about. I, I'm going to go into this saying that the Reds want to be competitive next year and are willing to spend some money because they got some because they got money coming off the books. Um, if they both leave, I'm I'm perfectly happy with Molly as one of the starters to replace one of them. Yeah, your top three are Molly, Gray, and uh, and Castillo on guys coming back. That's not bad. Yeah, but I I think they have to go out and get. One guy. Now, if they can get a guy in a trade, that's one thing. But if they go out looking, the guy of the guys I looked at, the guy that I that I like the best is Marcus Stroman. I liked him a few years ago, and I thought the Reds should make a play for him. But I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. He missed the whole year with a torn muscle in his calf. Um, he's making noises. I, I was looking at some stuff online today. He wants to pitch for the Yankees. So don't we all? Yeah, well, um, the other guy that that I that I looked at that I liked that might even be kind of affordable is this James Paxton, a left-hander that he pitched for the Yankees. He hurt his his forearm at the end of the season, but before two twenty twenty, he's been a very effective pitcher in the big leagues, and I don't think he'd be real ungodly expensive. He's made big money in the past, I think. Right, that's how he ended with the Yankees. But he was—he's never really been the guy. He was expected to be an ace type. Well, I think he was a number one. And he's, but he's been he's been serviceable, but he's not really been an ace. No, I know, but I, I think he's he's been very effective before this year, and and we don't need. Know, we, I'd like to have. You're, an, he, you're not going to get another Bauer. I'd like to have an ace, but we don't necessarily need another ace. We need another. You gotta give me another number three guy. Well, I think Gray or Castillo could be an ace. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I'm Castillo is. Will, you know, honestly, but you know what? If they both perform at the level they performed at this year, I'll be perfectly content. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but, but off the free agent list, he's the one that Paxton is probably the one that I think is the most, the most possible. I'm not saying it will or anything like that, but yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, I, I just don't feel. I don't see the Reds doing it. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong. Joey's next question: If you had to, re- if you're listening. Yeah, really. If you had to relocate to Canada, and now Joey is our, our Canadian friend, if you had to relocate to Canada, where would it be? Cheers, he says. If you had to relocate to Canada, there's really only one answer here. Um, let me see if you if your answer is the same as, as the only correct answer. Um, I don't have My answer would be I've heard nice things about Vancouver. Ah, get out of here. The only real answer, obviously, I'm a little disappointed that you don't get this, is Clearly, it's it's Manitoba. And why is that? It's the it's at the, a province at the longitudinal center of Canada. One of three prairie provinces. You 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 are not a centrist. Listen, only I know you too well. You are not. You don't want to be in the middle of anything. <laughs> no, that's not true. 
It's one of the only three prairie provinces, along with obviously, Bill, you know this, Alberta and Saskatchewan. Well, you don't live in a prairie now. Why don't you live in a prairie now if you want to live in a prairie in Canada? Well, because I don't. Maybe I don't like where I'm living now. Maybe I want to move somewhere that's uh, you know better. Canada's fifth most populous province, Manitoba. What's, all what's the, the way. What's the average temperature in Manitoba in the winter? Oh, probably like seventy-eight or something. It's probably really balmy. <laughs> That's what, I'm, that's what I'm guessing. I'm glad I'm not sitting next to you because I wouldn't want the lightning to hit me too. <laughs> Manitoba. This segment of the of viewer mail brought to you by the Manitoba Department of Tourism. Visit <laughs> Manitoba. It's really warm. Okay. Uh, next... Manitoba Chamber of Commerce. There you go. Hooper Pal. Hooper's question. If either of you could dominate a game show, what would it be? If either of you could dominate a game show, what would it be? Bill, you want this one or you want me to tackle it first? I love Jeopardy. We, we, my family, we watch Jeopardy every day. We love Jeopardy here at the Black House. Really? Yeah. I cannot remember the last time. I, I do remember the last time I watched Jeopardy. It's the last time I visited my in-laws. They all they love some Jeopardy and some Wheel of Fortune. We don't watch Wheel of Fortune, but we do watch Family Feud. But Philly, Family Feud is a filler to get to Jeopardy. Yeah, I'd want to go back and be on either Match Game 73 or the old Richard Dawson Family Feud. That's what I would like to dominate. Oh, now, you, just like that, you just like that microphone that Gene Rayburn used to Oh, my to gosh. That, that long, thin microphone? It was glorious. Was that, you, was that you and Garber that got onto that one day? <laughs> That's right. We had It's in our archives at the look. I don't remember which episode, but we spent way too long talking about Gene Rayburn and Match Game and that microphone. And Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, Charles. Listen, if you don't know who Charles Nelson Riley is. You better ask somebody. You that guy was, up on Wikipedia. Oh, that guy's the best. All right, good question, Hooper. Thank you so much. Chuck Nichols, next question. Who can bench press more? Chad, Doug, or Jason? Who can bench press more? Well, see, I'm glad that he, he, he's conceding here that I would be first. Well, that's obvious, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you know, because I'm so buff. <laughs> you are buff. <laughs> Uh, and I've never seen Jason in person, so I don't think I'm not. If I have, I don't remember, so I can't. I can't address this. So you, so you go ahead. All right. Well, I will say this. I, you know, I don't. We've never discussed this either. Uh, me and Doug, or me and Jason. Um, so I don't know if either. I would. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if either of them are are weightlifters, do any strength training. I don't know. Maybe. I will say this: that I'm. I got a pretty good idea that I'm the only one of the three that actually has bench pressed recently. <laughs> the, the last 10 months you know I mean, I had to, so, you, so you have an advantage there I don't know I mean I'm not going to tell you how much I bench but I have you know 10 months now basically I've been doing it uh, consistently uh, you know so you do know bench pressing is not pushing yourself off a bench <laughs> oh what is it <laughs> I bench press not that much I bench press more than my uh, teenage son is that is that something not For really, because he's tiny. Yeah. Oh, he's about to go way past me. Um, he probably already has, actually. There's your question, Chuck, and I love the irreverent questions here in the viewer mail segment. Phil Thompson, another irreverent. Hey, you're going to encourage that now. That's all right. We have we got to have some fun here, right? Yep. Phil's question: What is the best condiment combination on a hot dog? Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you answer this one, Bill. But I want to say we need to start with the baseline. Obviously, mayonnaise is the first condiment. So what else do you put on there with your mayonnaise? You're disgusting. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna poo poo my answer because I'm gonna say the first one is I, I've always put ketchup on my hot dog. Yeah, it's disgusting. See, I love ketchup and hot spicy mustard. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the the, the spicy mustard, the brown mustard, and that's it. Nothing else. 
Just the mustard. But I'm really not a hot dog guy. I'm more of a met or a brat guy. You go ketchup and mustard? I, see, I yeah. can't deal with that. I like ketchup, and I could eat ketchup on a hot dog, and I have. But both? I like them both. Ooh, I don't know about that. All right, Andy Disbennett. Andy's question, first of all, be- begins with a little bit of praise for yours truly. Yeah, I see that. Kudos to Chad for the proper pronunciation of my last name, even with the accent. What accent? Wait a minute. Andy? Of the Reds players already signed for next year, he asks, who do you see as being the most pivotal to our success in 2021? Uh, And you can go a lot of different ways with this one. Sinzel, we already said. But in terms of being the most pivotal to the Reds' success in 2021 of the players that we know are coming back, I say Joey Votto. I mean, if Votto can be somewhat above average, it really changes the look of this offense. And I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen. I hope it does. I love you, Joey. But that's who I see as being the most pivotal. He's got to be at least an average first baseman. Otherwise, that's just another hole at a position where a lot of teams have a, a, a big hitter. So that's my that's my answer. What do you think, Bill? I learned it this a different way. I, I was looking at guys that, that there's a reasonable expectation of them being able to carry the team for some portion of the season. And, and my answer was Suarez. Uh, he, he needs to return to his 2018-2019 or better numbers yeah. for this team to be successful. Well, if you look at it you're, the way you're saying as well, I think Nick Castellanos could be another guy like that that um, needs my, – My expectations for Castellanos aren't as high as they are for Suarez. The Reds have to have – I'm going to beat this drum all offseason. The Reds have to have somebody in the middle of the lineup that is dependable, that can be a hammer. You look at all these playoff teams, they got guys in the middle of the lineup that are just uh, stud hitters. The Reds have none of those guys, not one. Suarez. And you said a couple weeks ago, and I think either with me or with somebody else, that they need somebody that's an MVP candidate in the middle of the lineup. Look at all the teams that are making noise in the playoffs. They've got the guys like that. Yep. And the Reds just don't. I mean, I love Suarez. He can be that certainly for short periods of time. Uh, Castellanos has been for short periods of time. But I don't know. You just got to – the Reds need somebody. And wouldn't you like to have that Braves lineup? Oh, my gosh, yes. Give me the Reds rotation, the Braves lineup. and we'll, Actually, give me the Braves the whole roster because going coming going forward, those young pitchers are going to be great. No, they're not going to get worse, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, that team, man, that team is going to be a pain in our butt going yeah, forward. Gonna, well, I hope they are because that would mean we're playing them in the playoffs and, and places where it matters. Good point, good point. Risto Neely, kudos to Risto for getting his question in on time this week. The, sorry, Risto. I had to had to poke at you a little bit. Damn, that's me. No, I know. I love I love Risto. Um, the baseball world. By that I mean pundits and talking heads on shows like to criticize and ignore the Reds. Easy to do. Watching the I say easy to do. That's an editorial comment. That wasn't Risto. Watching the World Series this week, a question occurred to me: If a team is judged by a World Series performance, as many folks do, then the Dodgers' last World Series win was in 1988. And the Reds' last World Series win was in 1990, 32 versus 30 years, respectively. Does this mean that under that criterion, the Reds are the better team? And then, gentlemen, your prediction, please, Rays or Dodgers? My prediction, Rays in seven. What does he mean, Rays and Dodgers? Why would we make a – are they still playing? Yeah, there is some baseball still going on. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, yes, that does mean the Reds are the better team because they won a World Series more recently. Forget the fact mm-hmm. that the Dodgers have been the best team in baseball at least during the regular season for the last, you know, what, five years. Well, and you, you know, the, their longest stretch of drought, playoff drought, 
was six years between 97 and 03. Yeah. They haven't won because the world the playoffs are a crapshoot, as we already said. But they've been in three of the four last four World Series and playoffs in eight consecutive years. Yeah. And that's because I, wish I, could, I wish I could complain about that. Yeah, really. <laughs> and you know they they got ownership that's willing to do what it takes to win. Now it's a different. I mean, it's L.A. and it's you know it's a different. The finances are different. I, but but you know what too though I saw this thing on the other day like like. Seven guys, I, I, I don't remember whether it was their 25-man roster or what, but, you know, the vast majority of their roster developed in their system. Yeah, well, if you can do that, which the Reds did, and that's the biggest failure of the uh, of the quote-unquote rebuild we're going to talk about in a moment. But, um, yeah, if you can do that, and then you go out and get a Mookie Betts, <laughs> that's, that's how you win. I mean, they got Justin Turner on the, off the scrap heap. He, you know, the Reds are letting go. Somebody, I think Baltimore letting go, and he turns into an all-star third baseman in L.A., Yep. I, mean, I watched him play. I watched him play in Dayton when he was property of the Reds. He was a good ball player. I mean, I never thought he'd be as good as he's turned out to be. But I mean, you got you know sometimes you get lucky too. Oh yeah, I mean Bellinger, uh, Seager. You know they got Gavin Lux coming up. You know, uh, future star here. I, I don't yeah, and and listen, they're drafting behind the Reds every year. That's a you. You can't look at what the Reds have done. And maybe Doug will disagree with me. He's the minor league guy, but you can't look at what the Reds have done during this quote unquote rebuild. Again, I'm previewing what I'm getting ready to say later, but and say that it's anything other than a failure from that perspective. Just no, no doubt about it. We'll get to that yeah. question in a minute. Well, there's nobody that's come up to this team through the system that's been an all-star or, or who, who was the last player we developed that was an all-star? Votto? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce. Bruce? Jay was on the all-star team once. I mean, you can... Uh, more than once, right? Was he? I think he was twice. Um, Maybe. I mean, some people might say, well, you know, the Reds developed Castillo and Suarez just because they didn't draft them or sign them internationally. That doesn't mean they didn't develop them. They traded for them when they were still in the minors. You could say that. Yeah, and there's there's some legitimacy to that. But still, it's a failure of scouting not to identify those guys and sign them or, you know. Actually, or, Jay Bruce has been an all-star three times. There you go. That's what I thought. All right, Rich Thompson, dear Chad and Bill, imagine this. You get an email from MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred saying the following. Gentlemen, I've heard through the grapevine that you have questioned some of my actions on how I run MLB since I, since becoming commissioner. I love Rich because he has these detailed questions. Well, the 2020 season has been exhausting, and I desperately need a two-week vacation after the World Series to decompress before I begin labor negotiations with the Players Union. Therefore, I'm appointing you both jointly as acting commissioner to improve the game during my two-week vacation. The keys are yours to use as you see fit, including my keys to the executive bathroom at MLB headquarters. Good luck, and I wish you much success in my absence. Sincerely, Rob Manfred. So with this said, what changes do you make to improve MLB for the owners, the players? Well, for one thing, you and I could never be co-anything. <laughs> make to improve the MLB for the owners, players, and most importantly, the fans. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We would burn it down because we couldn't get along. <laughs> two weeks? How am I supposed to get along with you for two weeks? One hour every so often. Offices at the opposite ends of the hallway. Right. Uh, what would you do in two weeks? I, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming we're making changes here that, that are going to stick after he comes back. Yes. Let's 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 presume that. So first thing I do is strip all of the new 19, or 2020 rules. They're gone, out the door. Every one of them. I'm with you on that. We can agree on that. Okay. I get rid of the three batter rule. I hate it. 
Yeah, I don't mind that one as much, but I don't think it does anything. I think it's harmless. Mm, I think it affects the game. I don't think it does what they intended it to do. I outlaw, I outlaw Velcro. <laughs> okay. That's pretty random. No, it keeps you in the batter's box. You're not out futzing with your gloves all the time. <laughs> I'll tell you what I Go ahead. I, the, the first thing I would do is, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I've always been anti this position, but I've changed my mind. I would. Um, you're not going to say it. No, I'm not going to say that. No, I know what you think. No, no, no. I'm not going to say DH in the National League. Oh, absolutely that's, not. That's where I thought you were going. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, you and I are the, uh, agreed on that. Uh, I hate the designated hitter. Uh, although I'm increasingly in the minority on that, as on most other of my positions. But anyway, I would uh, outlaw the sh- the uh, the shift. And, really? And, and how you do that, I don't know. Uh, maybe you know you have to have two infielders on the left side, two on the right side of second base, something like that. But yeah, I would uh, I would outlaw the shift, and I would do whatever it takes, whether it's moving the mound back or lowering it or whatever it takes. I don't know to force teams to put the ball in play more often. Well, how about the hitters just in, in, improve? I don't think that's the problem. I think the pitchers have such an advantage; they're all throwing 100 miles an hour. Well, they they tried changing the mound once. I mean, they did that in '69. And it did have an effect. It worked. What did they, they did they raise it? They lowered it. They lowered, they lowered it. Yeah, they lowered the mound. So I don't know if you move the mound. They lowered it some more. It's, but the shift thing bothers me because there are ways to beat the shift, and players who just won't do it or don't can't do it or whatever. You just had well, bunt, do it, something. That's that's easier said than done. To lay, I, I have heard out that that is true. I mean, baseball's hard, and and laying down a bunt against a guy throwing 100 miles an hour that's right on top of you is hard. Um, and that's why they think there's a, and, and they're, I think they're right. I think the math probably bears it out that you're better off trying to do the way, do it the way they're doing it. Home run or nothing here on home run derby. Um, I, I think, I think you got to do something to get the ball in play more often, reduce strikeouts and get the ball in play more often. And if you, if you make some kind of change to eliminate the shift and to, change the advantage that pitchers have in terms of their velocity, then maybe you start to see a situation where um, there's there's more uh, percentage in trying to get put the ball in play. Right now, there's not. So that's 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 what I would do. I, then we, why don't we just have the pitchers underhand the ball in? There we go. Okay. Like slow pitch softball. Yeah. How about we'll this? Put four, we'll put a short center fielder out there. And play ten guys. Okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, and, and but it, it drives me crazy that guys can't beat the shift. It just absolutely, and and and, and I fully agree with what you're saying. It's not an easy thing, but some guys are able to hit the ball the other way. Some guys can bunt. How many guys do you think work in batting practice on, on bunting or hitting the other way? See, you know what I think? I don't think anybody ever did except for Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs. I don't think it was ever a skill that any anyone used. I mean, they were shifting for years. They shifted on Ted Williams. They shifted on they shifted on bench for years yeah. and years. Ted Williams couldn't beat it. And he that guy was the best one of the, maybe the best hitter in baseball ever. Well he must have been he must have done pretty well because he career average was what, about three forty? Yeah, he hit it through the shift. You know, but he didn't try to change what he was doing. And so, yeah, maybe that's an argument that we don't have enough Ted Williamses, but I, I don't know. I just, 
Um, the last thing I would do on my last day as, as, as commissioner though, the last thing I would do okay. right after I forced Bob Castellini to sell the reds is okay. that I would, I would mandate free mayonnaise on every hot dog in major league baseball stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> That's a disgusting we, we thing. Missed, we missed part of Aristo's, uh, uh, he wanted our predictions on the world series. Oh yeah. We didn't make our prediction. What's the, what's the, what have you watched? Heart, have you watched any heart, yet? Yeah, I've watched probably a total of a game and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I, my heart says Tampa Bay in seven, but my head says LA in six. You know, I don't have that hate for the Dodgers that many Reds fans had for years and years and years. And you and I talked about that a lot on uh, <laughs> building the machine. I just love the way the Rays do things. Um, I don't mind the Dodgers. I love some of their players. I'd like to see Clayton Kershaw get a ring. I, yeah, I like him. I, yeah, I don't have a problem with some of those guys. I just love the the way. I don't love the way that the, the Rays ownership won't spend any money. But then they're so smart the way they run that organization. Yep. I mean, they're so smart, and there's no reason that couldn't be the Reds, except the Reds are have been mismanaged under Bob Castellini. Yeah, I'm I'm about to go off on Castellini the next uh, year or two. Uh, I've lost all patience with uh, with with owner Bob. Sounds like sounds like a sounds like a Cincinnati Magazine article. It may be if they don't fire me before I do that. Um, it's fun talking about the the hate for the Dodgers from from myself and almost every Reds fan is about my age. And uh, back to what we started the evening with with Joe Morgan, and I'm going to bring up something that we talked about on. Um, building the machine is you, something that will give you the shivers if, is thinking about the same time the Reds got Morgan from Houston. Houston was talking to the Dodgers about trading him to L.A. Yeah. So he could have been part of that Dodgers team that the Reds were fighting. And, you know. and we did kind of talk about that on, on building the machine, actually. But yeah. it, 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 the Dodgers were so close to the Reds yeah. during the Reds' big run. That could have been what put them over the top. Well, it, now that ballpark, their ballpark is not set up for Morgan's skill set like like Riverfront was. True, but you know, still, he's Joe bigger, Morgan. Much bigger ballpark was natural grass, uh, you know. But he was, he was still Joe Morgan. But he was still Joe Morgan. Yeah, yeah so. he, he'd have found he'd found some way to make it work to his advantage. No doubt. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, a couple more questions, both specific to the Reds. So let's answer those, then we'll get out of here. John Majeski, agree or disagree? For the Reds' rebuild to be successful then either Sinzel or Winker needs to develop into all-star caliber players. Both have shown that they can be productive major league players, but it seems like the Reds need something more than pretty good if they're going to be a serious and consistent playoff contender. What do you think? What do you think we all agree or disagree? For the Reds' rebuild to be successful, then either Sinzel or Winker need to develop into all-star caliber players. Or they, have to, or they have to bring an all-star caliber player to the Reds in exchange for something. In a trade. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can see I can see Winker having better season this year than he did batting average wise, but I don't see him doing a whole lot better on base percentage or slugging wise than he was this year. Yeah, overall production, he was he was awfully good. He was pretty good, on good. But truthfully, uh, the production we had this year might have been an All Star level season if we'd had a regular yeah. season. Over the course of a season, yeah, you know, he'd be twenty five home runs, you know, twenty five thirty home runs. You know, on base percentage of almost 390, slugging of 540. Hell, that's pretty damn good. Uh, yeah. So, you know, until, until he does something, we're, it's always going to be what if, uh, you know. Well, let me give you my answer. 
again, it's this. Agree or disagree for the Reds rebuild to be successful, they need to send Zeller Winker need to develop into all-star caliber players. The answer is actually the rebuild has already been a failure. The Reds rebuild was a disaster. Yeah. They, I mean, we just need to concede that and figure out how we, and that's kind of what Dick Williams has been trying to do the last couple of years, is figure out a way to salvage this botched rebuild. The Reds completely botched it in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. They did not, I mean, you know, we got Sinzel and Winker. Okay. And you, in 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, you know, but but drafting was awful. They've not gotten anything. And they may still get something. They've traded away some of it as well. But even the ones they've traded away have not really shown, shown a ton. Um, they have not, until last year, they weren't willing to spend any money. So they spent, you know, four years just spinning their wheels. Hope. Hope. So we, we, we've talked about this rebuild for many years here on the podcast, and we it's time to admit it. The rebuild failed. Now, how do we get out of that? And that's what, over the last couple of years, Williams and Carl have been trying to figure out how to do. You know, they got creative last offseason with some trades, you know, the big one with the Dodgers that, you know, we can discuss that. But at least they were trying to get creative to, to cover up some of the problems caused by the fact they didn't have enough good players after this supposed rebuild process. And then last year, they finally spent a little money. So, um, you know, uh, maybe, this may be like the second part of the rebuild, starting with that Dodgers trade a couple of winters ago. Um, we're in, we're in rebuild 2.0 because the first one was, it was a disaster. It was, com- it was a complete disaster. And, um, I don't, I don't know how you argue otherwise. So that's, that's my opinion. The Reds rebuild was not successful. It's not going to be John. I hate that, but maybe rebuild 2.0 will be, and it would help if one of those guys were. All right. Final question comes from our buddy, Nathan Sturworth. Nathan asks, which Reds general manager should receive the most credit for the Reds' success between 2010 and 2013? Here's a list of significant players acquired by each general manager. It appears that O'Brien, Dave O'Brien, Dan O'Brien, and uh, Wayne Krivsky had more success in a shorter amount of time than Jockety, and many of Jockety's significant acquisitions were acquired by trading prospects. So here's who he listed. Uh, Jim Bowden acquired Votto and uh, Ryan Hannigan. Uh, O'Brien, Homer Bailey, Johnny Cueto, Jay Bruce, Wayne Krivsky, Drew Stubbs, Bronson Arroyo, the great trade for uh, for Brandon Phillips, Edinson Volquez, Todd Frazier, Zach Cozart. Um, and, and again, Krivsky was 2006-2008. He was fired and replaced by Walt Jockety, who brought in Leek Chapman, Mike Leek, Aroldis Chapman, Scott Rowland, Shinsu Chu, and Matt Latos. I think Jockety got good value out of some of his trades. But but those that want to defend some of my some of my best friends some of the people I really respect the most want to defend Jockety still. Jockety was awful. He was he was just awful. He's the one that ran this organization into the ground. He made some moves. The Scott Rowland one, um, you know, uh, trading for Latos. Th- those are even you can argue that the Latos trade in the long run was not a good deal. Yeah, but it did help the success in 2010 yep. to 2013. Yeah. So yep. so he and and the Rowland one as well. Rowland was really only good for like a season and a half. But he was important in, in the Reds turning the corner. So I'll give Jockey credit for that. But what else? He, well, Jockey, and, and, and there's more to being the GM than, than just the players. You know, it's the whole organization. And, and he held this team back from evolving and, and keeping up with every other team in baseball. Yeah, he decided he wanted to do the old boys network nonsense that he'd been doing forever. It's the reason he was fired by the Cardinals or run out, the, run out of town because he refused to update his thinking. 
in, in the in the post Moneyball era. And of course, the Reds willingly hand him the job for seven years or more. Really, he was in control for even longer. So uh, I, you know, I thought Wayne Krivsky was here from 2006 through through uh, 2008, and he wasn't uh, Castellani's guy, so he was not long for this world. But uh, and he had his flaws. You know, some of the stuff he implemented in the minor leagues was questionable. This pitch to contact stuff, and I don't know. But I well, thought see the was was it him or was it O'Brien that was doing the tandem starters? I think that was Krivsky. Maybe I'm yeah. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. He had some I can't cri- remember for sure either. Yeah, but. Um, but I thought he was done wrong. I mean, I thought he was, I didn't think he was great. And you can go back and listen on the podcast or read what I wrote at Red Lake Nation. But I thought, boy, he didn't do anything to deserve being fired at that time. So I'm going to go Wayne Krivsky. What's that? He didn't know the right people. He wasn't somebody, like you said, he wasn't somebody's guy. He wasn't Castellini's guy. Yeah. Got to be friends with the vegetable magnate. I am, I am low on Bob Castellini. The, the only thing I will give the at this point, what I will give the Castellini family credit for is improving, vastly improving the fan experience at the ballpark. Okay. And the Hall of Fame. I mean, you're you're right. You're, but if we're not winning games, I, I've that stuff I, has I'm lost its shine for me. Not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying. I mean, and, and the Hall of Fame is a big deal to me. Yeah, right. no, I'm with you. But it would be a lot. I'd rather I'd rather be putting a World Series banner up. Yeah, I'm done. Bob Castellini's been a failure as owner of the Reds. Just a failure. He's a he's a, he's a failure. Four winning seasons uh, in the. You know, he took over in 2006, and he said, "We're just not going to lose anymore." Yeah, four four winning seasons since then, including this year. If you want to include this as a winning season at 31 and 29 after 60 games. And really, it was thirty-one and uh, thirty-one after they got lost, got embarrassed in the playoffs. Oh, anyway, whatever. I love the Reds. I'm going to love the Reds long after Bob Castellini is gone. I'm not going to let him ruin that. Any final thoughts, Bill? We've gone long again. Nope. All right. Well, this that's Bill Lack. I'm Chad Dotson. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number three hundred forty-nine. Go subscribe. Tell your friends about us, please. And go leave us a rating or review at iTunes if you uh, wouldn't mind doing that. Five-star reviews only. As I have always said, if you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouths shut. Appreciate you, Bill. Good talking to you again, buddy. Always good to talk to you, my friend. For Bill Lack and Wayne Krivsky, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.